Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at the second half of Luke chapter 1 this morning. Uh, last week we looked at the first half of Luke chapter 1, and we're going to talk a little bit about Mary and the impossible. As a people, a lot of us are fascinated with street magic. I don't know if you have ever watched street magic. I'll never forget the first time I saw Chris Angel walk through a, a plate glass window. Like, how did he do that? It's amazing. It's the impossible. Or, or human feats, like superhuman feats that you never thought were possible. Uh, I had the, the privilege of seeing a show recently where two acrobats were uh, performing and one of them balanced on the other one's head, kind of like this picture here. Like ser- seriously, I watched this happen. This wasn't just a, uh, a, a, a trick, you know? Like this was crazy strength and balance and I thought that's impossible. I can barely stand up by myself, (laughs) let alone balance on someone else's head. And so uh, we love things that are impossible. And there are things in our own life that seem impossible, aren't there? There are things in our life that just seem impossible. And most of us, when we encounter these kind of things, are afraid of them. Today we're going to run into a, a text that tells us about the impossible. And there's a key verse in our text today, Luke chapter 1, verse 37. And it, it says this, the angel tells Mary, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. This verse forms the key thought for our text today, that nothing is impossible with God. And yet we tend to fear the impossible. So today I want to talk about the impossible. Most of us are terrified of it. We're afraid because the impossible seems completely and utterly out of our control. This whole doing what can't be done is by definition something that is not in our control. It's not. And I want you to know today, if there's one thing that I want you to take away, it's this simple idea. Don't be afraid of the impossible circumstances in front of you. Don't be afraid of the impossible circumstances that lie in front of you. In response to our fear of the impossible, God has a very specific instruction. In response to our fear in general, God has a very specific instruction. He says, fear not. So in preparing for this series, I, as I mentioned last week, I was amazed at how many times the the phrase fear not appears in the different aspects of the Christmas story. Last week we saw Zechariah. The angel appeared to him and said, fear not. This week we're going to look at Mary. The angel appears to her and says, fear not. To Joseph, the angel says, fear not. To the shepherds, the angel says, fear not. Don't be afraid. And so today we want to look at this story of Mary, where the angel announces to her that she will be the mother of the Son of God. And we're going to learn that we shouldn't be afraid of the impossible circumstances in front of us. So we have, I have three words today for those who fear the impossible, which is all of us because we all fear the impossible. I have three words today that I'm going to look at from this text in Luke chapter 1 about Mary. And the first word I have for you is grace. For those of us who fear the impossible, the first word for you is the word grace. Read with me in Scripture together. Starting in chapter 1, verse 26, 
I encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, if you forgot yours at home, grab a red Bible around you or use your phone, open the Bible app, get your eyes on a page. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't, do not be afraid. Fear not. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary received grace from God. And that's our first word today, grace. She was to give birth to the Messiah. Now just think about this for a second. Mary, this young teenage girl, was going to give birth to the Son of God the Father, to Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, to God in human form. No one ever in the history of humanity had ever been tasked with this, nor would ever be tasked with it again. Mary was given grace. Now, I have two questions for you when I read this. I think, first of all, what did Mary do to deserve this gift? Second question I have, was this really a gift? Let's look at the first question together as we think of grace. Mary didn't deserve this gift. She didn't. We said, what did she do to deserve this gift? She did nothing to deserve this gift. We see in the text, look at very specifically the verse. Greetings, verse 28. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Highly favored. That word means, could be translated, greatly graced. Now, there's an unfounded view about Mary, and there's a lot of things that we understand incorrectly that are talked about Mary. But one incorrect view of what it means to be greatly graced or highly favored is that Mary was chosen for this task because she decided to live her life in a particularly holy and moral way. One view of this is Mary was lived perfectly, and she deserved this. Verse 28, greetings, you who are highly favored, greatly graced. The problem, some would say Mary full of grace or Mary greatly graced. Which one is it? Well, well the, the Greek word here is from the root word for grace. And some have, out there have taught that Mary was full of grace in a way that no one else was because she lived an extra holy life and somehow she was special, special because of this living an extra holy life. But the whole point of grace is exactly the opposite. Grace is undeserved favor. Grace is something given to you that you did not deserve. Grace is something given to me that I did not deserve. And grace is something given to Mary that she did not deserve. Mary, full of grace. If by our actions, we can guarantee grace, it is no longer grace. 
If grace is something we deserved, it's not grace anymore. And this, of course, brings us right to the whole message of the gospel that starts at Christmas and works its way through to Easter and then Pentecost, is that this simple idea that Jesus Christ gave himself to you and me who did not deserve him, that when our sin held us as guilty before God, he gave us the gift of Jesus to cover over our sins. Grace. It's something we didn't deserve. That's the whole point of it. It doesn't matter how many righteous things you do, you'll never deserve grace, but he gave it to you anyway. See, we assume that Mary did something really, really right to be chosen for such a high task. But what if Mary's view of what happened was so much different than this? What if Mary saw things completely opposite of this? What if she didn't see this as grace? That leads to our second question. The first one was, what did she do to deserve this? The second question is, was this really a gift? Was this really grace? Did Mary go, oh, awesome. I get to have a baby as a teenager out of wedlock. This is fantastic. I mean, think about this. Here are some ways that this impossible thing may not have seemed like grace to Mary. It was a teenage pregnancy. She would have been publicly disgraced. As a young woman pledged to be married, engaged, if she would have been seen as pregnant, she would have branded as, been branded as a whore. It would have put her future marriage at risk. Uh, marriage in the first century was different than marriage that you and I uh, understand today in our culture. It, marriage was a two-step process. To be engaged was to, in fact, be the first step of what we would call marriage. And then later on was a, a ceremony in which that marriage... Ceremony was completed or brought to conclusion. And so if a young woman who was pledged to be married were to commit a, adultery, and it would be seen as adultery, the husband had the right by law to divorce her. I mean, Joseph would know how babies are made, right? He would assume that she had done something that was a violation of their vows to each other. And, in, and it would require a legal divorce to end the engagement. The last thing that Mary may not have seen this as a gift was because it put her life at risk. Joseph would have known what had happened, would have assumed that she had had some sort of affair, had been unfaithful to him, and Joseph could have condemned her to capital punishment. She could have been stoned to death and killed for it. Matthew, though, the writer of Matthew says Joseph was a righteous man and he sought to protect her. But she didn't know he would do this. She didn't know this. The moment she was declared, she was told from the angel that this is her gift, she knew her life was at risk. So was this pregnancy really a gift? Was this grace really grace? Because this pregnancy didn't seem like it. It seemed like a nightmare. Friends, oftentimes for you and me, God puts an impossible situation in front of us that may not seem like grace to us. Difficult things in our lives are most necessary and wonderful because God is using those impossible things for his kingdom. Even the impossible, horrible things you and I need to choose to view as grace.
Mary viewed what very well could have been a death sentence for her as grace, a gift. Anne Voskamp says this, Suffering nourishes grace. Pain and joy are arteries of the same heart. Mourning and dancing are but movements in his unfinished symphony of beauty. Can I believe the gospel that God is patiently transfiguring all the notes of my life into the song of his son? What in this world is grace? I can say it for certain now. All is grace. I see through the woods of the world. God is always good and I am always loved. God is. What's the impossible thing in your life? What's the thing to which you turn to God and cry, why me, God? Why now? I can't endure this. What's that thing for you? What's the thing you say, I cannot accomplish this thing. I can't make it through. I feel trapped. I am out of options. God, I can't. It's impossible. What is that thing for you? Can you choose to see it as grace? Can you choose to change your perspective and take the impossible thing in front of you and say, this is a gift from God that I didn't deserve? Will you dare to see the impossible as grace, a very gift from God? You see, don't be afraid of the impossible circumstances in front of you. View them as grace. And that's the first word, grace. The second word for those of us who fear the impossible, if the first word is grace, the second word is presence presence. The first word is grace. The second word is presence. Look at verse 34. The angel tells Mary that she's going to be with child. And Mary rightfully kind of, I mean, she's had class at school. She knows how this stuff works, right? And so she says in verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? She says, uh, <laughs> okay, angel, uh, you say this is going to happen, but I, I mean, I, I know some details that haven't happened to me, and I'm not sure how this is going to work, so fill me in. Look at verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. There's a great word here in, in, the, in the scripture, and that is the word overshadowed. Overshadowed. When Luke was writing this, he probably had a copy of the Greek Septuagint in front of him. The Septuagint was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. So many times uh, authors in the New Testament were using this Greek version uh, of the Bible. And the word that he picks here, the angel that Luke records overshadowed, is the same word we run into back in Exodus. It's fitting because in, uh, in our sermon here, uh, in the next series we're going to launch into is in the second half of Exodus. And we're going to talk about Exodus drawing close to God. And what we're going to see here is eventually we're going to get to this first, but in Exodus chapter uh, 40, verse 35, we see that Moses completes the temple, excuse me, the tabernacle, the, the movable temple, 
and they complete it and they're going to institute the worship of God. And if you remember in the Old Testament, uh, in this point, there had been a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that led the Israelites. And this symbolized the promise of God, that it symbolized the presence of God with them. And so whenever they saw the cloud, they knew God was with them. And once they complete the tabernacle, the cloud descends on the tabernacle. Look at verse, uh, listen to verse 40, uh, chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses couldn't enter the temple, uh, tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, overshadowed it, same word. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Luke wants us to make this connection here. He wants us to make this connection. He wants you to go, hey, when you were just reading Exodus, do you remember that the glory of the Lord filled, overshadowed the temple, the tabernacle? The same thing is going to happen to Mary. And this is fascinating. There are so many similarities between uh, what happens to Mary here and what happened in the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40. God's presence surrounded the tabernacle, overshadowed it. And God's presence is going to overshadow, surround Mary. Now, there are some key differences too, though. One of the differences is that Moses could not reach God in his presence. There is this barrier. The cloud kept him out. But Jesus exists in the presence as the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary, Jesus exists as an unborn child in the womb because he is God. And the point here is that what's impossible for Mary is possible with God. That's verse 37. Because God's presence resides. God's presence is in the impossible. Now take a moment with me and just stop and think about your life. Because in Mary's most impossible moment, God meets her. She's going to walk through humiliation. She's going to walk through conflict. She's going to walk through shame and even the risk of her life. And God's presence caused it and walked through it with her. God's presence brought the impossible to Mary. And God's presence will sustain her through it because God is with her. The impossible is not only a grace from God, but it's a sign of his presence. God is with her in the tough moments. My oldest son, Nicholas, is 20. He's almost 21 years old. And I was remembering the other day when he was about three or four years old. I was a little younger then. I had less gray hair, uh, but uh, it was a long time ago. But I remember being in Florida visiting my brother and, and we took Nicholas to Disney World to the animal kingdom, and uh, as we were walking around, uh, I, we saw a ride called the Jurassic Park ride. And uh, so this is a long time ago. It was a fairly new ride then, uh, and I decided that I was going to take Nicholas, my three-year-old, on this ride. It sounded great. Dinosaurs. This could be fun. Clarissa didn't go with us. I don't remember why. She was probably pregnant. She was always pregnant back in those days, and so uh, the, the, those things happened. But I remember taking Nicholas, and I should it should have dawned on me when we were waiting in line. I didn't see any other children waiting in line for this ride. You know, Nicholas was has always been big, so he was tall enough to do the ride or whatnot. 
And so we get on the ride and, uh, and we're in this like movable car that goes through the journey and I'm excited. And as soon as the doors open and the car scoots under the ride, the doors close and the lights go out. Boom, pitch black. And then giant subwoofers start rumbling at incredible decibels. And I realized for a second that this was not a ride for a three-year-old, right? But it's, I'm trapped in, right? We're strapped. He's sitting next to me. What do I do? We turn the corner and there is over us this gigantic dinosaur that with, with uh, strobe lights and, and, and thunderous volume of sound is coming down to eat us. And I just remember thinking, what have I done? <laughs> well, I am a horrible parent. I should have no more children. And, uh, and so I held him and I pulled him in close and I covered his eyes and I got my, my mouth right next to his ear because that's the only way he could hear me amongst this rumbling darkness and sound. As I held him close and I said, Nicholas, it's okay. It's not real. I'm right here and I will protect you. And we made it through the ride and we came out and I was traumatized. <laughs> what have I done? And we get off the ride and I'm waiting for Nicholas to just be a ball of tears and crying. And he just looks at me and goes, that was awesome. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> the point of that is this. In the most difficult times, I was right with him. Whatever impossible thing is in front of you, God is with you. He's with you. And it's in the impossible where he has the opportunity to shine the brightest. In your most impossible moments, God is with you. And you have, if you believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you have the spirit of God living in you. And there is no way to quantify that. There is no way to explain that. Other than if you have the Spirit, you know Him. You know that you have Him with you. And He will never leave you, even when it's dark and impossible and you can't possibly know it. You have God's Spirit living in you. You see, God's in the impossible, we have God's grace and we have His presence. And they work hand in hand. You see, we're tempted to think, well, God will be with me as long as I behave. God will be with me as long as I do all the things I'm supposed to do. But that's anti-grace. That's not how it works. You see, we get into this God punishes bad behavior mentality and we live in fear. I have a friend of mine, I, I talk to a, a lot uh, about different things. And one of the things that uh, we talk about is just temptation and struggles. And he'll often say to me uh, and talk about the cycle that we all go through. Every single one of us go through with temptation. We have temptation. We yield to temptation. We repent and walk in victory for a while. And then we have more temptation and we yield to temptation. And it's just this cycle we go through. And he'll say something to me, you know, he'll run into big, some big problem at work or something bad will happen to him. And he goes, I feel, that's the key word, I feel that God is punishing me. But the gospel says differently. Because Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And, and when we have the Holy Spirit and all our sins, we believe in Christ, that all our sins, all the crud and junk and ways we mess up, when it's all forgiven, 
past, present, future. His presence never leaves us. When we believe we're filled with the presence of God, our sins are covered and he'll never go away. Grace guarantees his presence. So think of this. Just as God's presence overshadowed and and surrounded and uplifted Mary in her impossible situation, so God's presence surrounds you and yours. In Christ, he's right there. And when you learn to see grace in the impossible, And when you learn to see this, then you learn that you're not alone. God's presence is there. But think of this for a second. Mary's impossible situation not only shows that God's presence is there because grace and presence go hand in hand, but God's presence caused Mary's impossible situation. I mean, let that blow your mind. He, I mean, he's directly responsible for her being with child. If God is truly sovereign, then he's orchestrating events for your good and his glory. And God is never the cause of evil, but God uses it. For Mary, God put the impossible right in front of her and he says, I am with you. How about you? Can you take the impossible as a gift from God and see his presence in it? He's standing with you through it all. Don't be afraid of the impossible circumstances in front of you. Grace, presence. But there's a third word. Grace, presence, and the last word, the third word is faithfulness. Faithfulness. And in this, we see Mary's response in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, she replied. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. How does Mary respond? With humility, with faithful humility. I think Mary knew her Torah. She knew her Old Testament. I I, I think she knew it well. There is a similar event in Genesis chapter 18. If you remember, Genesis is a story of Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And they were old, ancient, older than me even. And they were without child. They haven't been able to conceive a child. And in her old age, the the angel, they get the message that she's going to have a child. She's thinking, how can this happen, right? Sarah's going, I'm old. Like, my body doesn't work that way anymore. And her response in Genesis 18 is to laugh. She laughs out loud, I think. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? She says, at, she laughs, the text says, after I'm worn out and my master is old, will I have this pleasure? And the angel replied to her, it's so similar. He says to Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? Sounds a lot like what the angel said to Mary. But Sarah responded with doubt. She didn't believe and I think what Mary thinks at this moment, when God tells her the impossible is going to happen to her, she knows her Bible and she says, okay, whatever you do right now, don't laugh. <laughs> whatever you do, don't laugh, Mary. Mary thinks that. There are a lot of stories in the Bible, a lot of accounts of women who couldn't have children. Samson's mother was unable to have children. An angel appears and she's terrified. 
Rebecca, she couldn't have children and she prayed. Rachel had two boys. Hannah prayed and had Samuel. Remember Zachariah's response last week? He doubted. Mary's got all of this packed up in her head and she tells herself at this moment, don't doubt, have faith and be faithful. Have faith and be faithful. Whatever happens, be faithful. And that's why she says, may it be to me as you have said. Be faithful. See, don't be afraid of the impossible circumstances in front of you. One commentator on this uh, account in Luke here, verse 1, chapter 1 here, says this in, of Mary. He says, Mary brings nothing on her resume other than her availability and willingness to serve. But those characteristics are the most basic ones anyone can offer to God. So he puts her to use in his plan, taking her through a process for which she has no training or preparation. He simply promises to be with her in the journey, and she responds by, willing, by being willing to go along for the ride. How will you respond to the impossible things in your life? Are you ready to go along for the ride? See, you view it as a grace to be sustained by the power of God. And then, once you view it that way, your job is to stay the course. What's the impossible in front of you? Whatever it is, just be faithful. Uh, this word faithfulness just reminds me of the importance to plod. There's the importance of plodding. Plodding along in ministry is sort of my ministry mantra. You know, I don't want to be a flash-in-the-pan guy that lasts in ministry for a year or two and makes a big bang and then is out. I don't want to be part of a ministry that flashes and grows super fast and then explodes. I just want to be faithful. I just want to plod. I'm the tortoise, not the hare, right? I, I try to think and be faithful to what God has called me to. I think of all the pastors who have come and gone. Their pride is their downfall or they think they're invincible to sin, or they come with a great, charming personality. I just, I just want to plod. I just want to be faithful. But there's a danger in that. And the danger is that in my faithful plodding, sometimes I risk thinking that it's my faithfulness that got me somewhere. It, and sometimes I think in plodding that I overcame the impossible, or I did this. Look at how faithful I am. Aren't I awesome? There's a danger in that. Years ago, I heard Joel Osteen tell an illustration. Now, uh, Joel Osteen gets it wrong all the time, okay? Joel Osteen teaches a gospel that says, if you believe in Jesus, God will make everything go right for you, which of course then makes us ask the question, what happens when it goes wrong? I did something wrong. He often gets it wrong, and in this illustration, it's a great, he's a great storyteller. And, uh, and he tells this story and it's a story about a mule. A, a farmer went out and had, he had an old dried up well. And uh, one day he goes out, can't find his old broken down mule. And uh, he looks in the well and the mule had fallen in the well and was sitting at the bottom. And the farmer thinks, I, I really have no use for the mule anymore. And I really have no use for the dried up well anymore. And he goes, I'm just going <laughs> to you know, solve this two things at a time. So he grabs a shovel and he just starts filling in the well and burying this mule. 
And every time that a shovel full of dirt hit the mule's back, he shook it off and then stepped on top of it. And eventually, the dirt rose to a level that the mule hopped out of the hole. All right. And then Joel Osteen goes on this thing about, step it up. You can do it. When hard things come your way, just step up. You can do it. And he misses the point completely. Because grace isn't something we deserve. Because in that story, who got you out of your mess? You did. You stepped up. And it's wrong. We're faithful, but God does the work. And that's what faith is all about. And don't miss this. When the impossible comes your way, lean into it as a gift. Lean into the presence of God. Be faithful and wait for God to show up. What can Mary take credit for here? Her immaculate conception? Nope. She's just faithful with what God gave her. You see, don't be afraid of the impossible circumstances in front of you. Be faithful and God will act. Don't be prideful, be grateful. Don't be afraid of the impossible. Remember God's presence. Remember his grace and be faithful. When I was thinking of faithfulness, I want to close just with this, with, just with a picture here. Uh, President George H.W. Bush passed away this week, and this was a picture that was running around everywhere. Maybe you saw this. That's his Sully, his service dog, and, uh, and I just, the, you know, he brought him into the rotunda. He's probably laying there thinking, why are you people all staring at me, taking pictures of me, right? But uh, that, this was when uh, was there in the Capitol, and they brought the dog in, and he, I mean, I love the picture, right? He's just faithful hanging with his master. And, and I just thought, oh, oh, if we were just faithful, whatever the impossible was in front of us, if we just lean into it as grace and seek God's presence and just be faithful through it. Whatever impossible thing comes your way, don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of the impossible circumstances in front of you. See it as grace. Look for God's presence and be faithful. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do not want to be a people who live in fear, fear of the impossible. We want to be people who see the impossible as grace. And would you give us the strength to do that? Would you give us the strength to see your presence and to be faithful in whatever lies in front of us? In Jesus' name, amen.